Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Talk Recorded live. In a land of myth and a time of magic, the destiny of a great kingdom rests on the shoulders of a young boy. His name, Merlin. I mean, hello everybody, and welcome to the Golden Collective Podcast. Yes, we're back, it's another Sunday, so it's time for another show. And joining me, my assistant in in, in, in magic, Mr. Dave A.C. Well, actually, I'm not joining in the castle, I'm in the forest, because we have to do one episode in the castle, then an episode in the forest, then in the castle, then in the forest. <laughs> okay, sure. Let's see who else is hiding out in the forest. <laughs> Joining us today, Mr. Darth Skeptical is here. I resent that implication. I'm much more of a castle guy. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Joining us in the dungeon. <laughs> there we go. Thank yes, you I'll take you in the dungeon down there. <laughs> also joining us hiding behind a tree, it's Mr. Randall Thor. Abracadabra Elakazam. Oh, wait, no, those are Pokemon that I'm training. Hello, hello. <laughs> <laughs> well done, like that. Yeah. Also, famous for making bicycles disappear, it's Mr. Tim Jury. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I, that one just kind of really lent itself. <laughs> and on the subject of disappearing, I, I go go to another convention in a few days' time. On Thursday, I'll be heading off to SFX Weekend of Three, and we'll see if my ears have recovered by next Sunday, because Brian Blessed is among the guests. Wonderful! <laughs> <laughs> on, the, on the latest Pharos Project podcast, I heard them saying, we must try and get Blessed to swear for us. And I, I thought, judging I on that Stephen Fry documentary he did, or he showed up in on language recently, that isn't going to be hard. No, no, no. Gordon's alive! Sorry, can't resist. Oh, <laughs> thank you. There's actually a uh, speaking of Brian Blessed. If you look around on the internet, a guy had a started a campaign to get Brian Blessed to do the uh, the voiceover for his um, what do you call it? You call him GPS here. You call him oh Sat-Nav. 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 Oh yeah, yes, wanted... yes, it's it's it's, it, it's been done. Right, yeah, but the, the, the whole process he did, he made this little short film of him and his girlfriend driving around, and and uh, you can hear Brian Blessed like, Turn now, you damn fool! No, left there! Oh, 
fly by Hawkman all the way through this whole thing. Mm-hmm. And then at one point they pull up in the on this country lane and they stop and we're like, and they and the guy turns around and he goes, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Brian, it's just not gonna work out and there he is stuffed <laughs> in the back of the in the in the back of the car or the you know, um, the back seat he's like hunched up in there. <laughs> and, sorry, sorry, and Brian sorry, sorry. Gets out and then they drive off and leave him there. It was hilarious. <laughs> you could you could also have him wake you up on your iOS device because there is Brian Alarm the app. Oh really? I'm yeah. gonna have oh, to get yeah, that yeah. now. <laughs> I want that. Mm. <laughs> Excuse me, folks. We're gonna have a small hiatus in the show. I'll get finally. Yes. Anyway, uh, moving swift onwards. Let's find out who is underneath the cone. Of silence. Controls new agent training program, section 3.5, the cone of silence. To activate, simply lower the cone and speak clearly. What? Do not overuse the cone of silence. What? Do not shout in the cone of silence. What? In fact, don't even use the cone of silence. What? It's never worked right. I don't know why we bought it in the first place. The portable cone of silence. What? And joining us under the cone today is the Seventh Doctor. Hopefully he'll come on audio later, but I don't think he's seen what we're going to be talking about. Oh, well, maybe he'll come on anyway, just for laughs. Cybob is also there. Perry G is joining us. Hmm, we have a scientist in the midst. Hmm. Science? No, this is all about magic. What are you doing here? <laughs> <laughs> Logan is here doing topics. Uh, <laughs> And also, guest 10 is uh, hiding in the underbrush. <laughs> a safe place to be here. <laughs> All right, one other person to introduce, and that is the typing monkey. Sure, go, typing today. monkey, go! There you go, there you go. Uh, go, magic monkey, go, yes. <laughs> Short news today, um... Uh, coming up in a couple of weeks, uh, actually uh, the weekend of uh, well, Friday, February uh, 17th, Saturday the 18th, and Sunday the 19th is Megacon in Orlando at uh, the Orange County Convention Center. And um, I have plans to go, along with my son and DM Walling, who may, some of you may remember from the Colton Collective. There is a uh, large amount of guests. Uh, you can uh, go to their website, www.mega convention.com and uh, you'll see uh, the menu on the side and, uh, and you'll see what guests are going to be there. Just a few. Tony Amendola from uh, Star, uh, Stargate SG-1. Uh, David Andrews is going to be there. Bruce Boxleitner. That's going to be going to be kind of cool. Uh, Tom Felton, who I just watched last night in Planet of the uh, in Rise of the Planet of the Apes. And yeah, he is. Is, is there going to be a movie where he doesn't play a dick? <laughs> uh, Daniel Logan is going to be there. Hmm. Stay tuned for more news on that. Peter Mayhew, who was really nice to my son the first time we went to Megacon, is going to be there. Uh, uh, three cast members from uh, Warehouse 13, Eddie McClintock, Sol Rubinick, and uh, I've lost the other one. Tia Carrera. Uh, is Sol Rubinick, is that the guy that that, that stole data? Yes, in, in one of the it, is. it is. It is. Uh, yeah. I think it's called All the Toys. Right. Yeah. Um, but speaking of Star Trek, Star Trek Robert Ricardo is going to be there. Uh, Sol Rubinek, as we mentioned. Uh, Tim Russ is going to be there, and Brent Spiner. Um, but yeah, there's a ton more there. Go and read them for yourself. Oh, Cindy Morgan's going to be there. I did it. She's from Tron. Same with Bruce Boxleitner. Uh, before they were in you know, anything else. Uh, 
and you can actually get a there's photos you can get there through Fargis Photos, and uh, they're actually doing a, a, a one where you can get the two uh, be in a photo with the both of them. It's the Tron um, photo, so that's kind of cool. I think anyway, that's just me. And no, I haven't really had an awful lot of coffee today. Thanks for asking though. Uh, uh, Chris McCarpers. Chris McCarpenter is going to be there. Dave's old drooly. Corin Nemec's going to be there. Paul McGillian's going to be there. That's cool. I like Paul McGillian. Yeah, Chris McCarpenter, whoever she is. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> I do love to tease him. I do. I do. But yes, uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. And uh, look for a report from myself and maybe Diane and maybe my son uh, once we return. Um... Oh, sorry, yes. The Most Toys. The Most Toys was the name of the episode. Oh, no, he's very good in that, too. Oh, he's well also He's also been in, uh, in Status G1 as well. Um, in a very, very, very good episode. He was just uh, brilliant. And he was a documentary director, and he was just fabulous. So um, I, like his, I like his work. <laughs> uh, one other short piece of news that uh, provided to us by Tim Jury, uh, apparently... Sophie Aldred is now on Twitter. Uh, and I'm just trying to find where that was. It's in the web chat, if you want to. In the text chat. Oh, yes, it's uh, Sophie underscore Aldred. Yes, so uh, look for her on there. And she's just been recording with Sylvester McCoy, by the way, uh, another big Finnish story, Love and War, which also features uh, uh, Lisa Bauman, who played uh, Professor Bernie Summerfield. So that that's a, a new big finish recording that's gone out. Um, will not be released until October, however. Part of the um, is, it, is it twenty years? Can't have been doing big finish for twenty years, surely. Sure, I read somewhere it was. Uh, it's the twentieth anniversary of um, Benny, because that's that's Benny's first story. It's actually ah. an adaptation of the novel Just War by Paul Cornell, which was the story that introduced the character of Benny. Ah. Wow. Yeah. Um, yeah, 7th Doctor also added uh, about Sol Rubinek. He's also um, Warehouse 13, which we mentioned. And Fraser, Yes, he was very good on Fraser as well. And an episode of uh, Eureka from, from Fran Thor. Yes, this is turning into the Sol Rubinek show. No, honestly, he's, he's, just, he's lovely. He is lovely. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I digress. You'll you be telling me next he's been on the media outsiders. He probably has. It wouldn't surprise <laughs> me. They're always poaching our stuff. <laughs> All right. Um, yes, uh, there's, I, I guess there's only really one more thing to do. And that is to explain to those of you in the outside world who are listening to this. It started here. But hey, you know, who are we to judge? Uh, if you want to become involved in the Colton Collective and uh, want to come on a show and voice your opinions about Saul Rubinick, here's how you do it. If you enjoy listening, why not join the collective and participate yourself? Or on TalkShoe, call ID 54821. Call in on 724-444-7444. This is a US number, area code 724, so do check your calling time before dialing in. If you have a SIP client, you can call in for free on 66.212.134.192. Or you can connect in directly via the shoe phone find if you have TalkShoe Live installed. Looking forward to hearing you. And there you go. It's as simple as that. In fact, I had a, uh, a friend of mine uh, come in on uh, a show on Friday. Yes, uh, 
uh, Friday Night Trivia, which I dumbed down for the occasion, and uh, he rather enjoyed himself. And he's coming again. So, see, it's really that simple. You know, so nothing to worry about. If you listen to this, come on. Shimon! Shimon! Anyway, come on! <laughs> while I nip off him and have a cup of tea, uh, <laughs> Dave's going to take over the show, because I can't swallow. Uh, <clears throat> sounds like a personal problem. It is! Uh, Logan left, you see. Yeah, he doesn't want to, he does he, He's already got our topic, and now he's off to write his own. Um, we've mentioned the meeting outside, so he's happy. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, actually, they're, they're, they're doing Quantum Leap tonight, which I, I might actually have to show up for and, uh, and end up being divorced by my wife. But hey, you know, it's all in the interest of fun. Well, there's only one thing to say to that. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. <laughs> Oh, wait, it's time right, to get on with fellas. the show. <laughs> Today we're talking yeah. about Merlin, are we not, sir? Well, we are in a minute, but uh, I just want to just mention that uh, that quiz show that Ian so uh, ably um, chaired uh, was Sorry, Radio Free Camelin, and that, of course, is Mike's show here, and the call ID for that is 72402, and it goes out every uh, Friday night at, uh, what is it, 10 p.m., 9, p- 9 p.m. Nine. Eastern Standard Time. And uh, Mike, are you in the chair this coming week? Yes, I am. I'm once again resuming hosting duties. I've had my own set of questions ready and waiting for a while, and I can't wait to go over them. All sorts of yeah. interesting questions. As Ian was saying in the after show on Friday, it's a, I, I tend to skew towards more more educational questions. He's been nice to me, he <laughs> is. He's been very nice to me. <laughs> we'll see how this goes Friday. Yes. It's, go, it's going highbrow. It's going, it's going highbrow, it, yes. Yeah, here last week, highbrow this week. Yeah. <laughs> and I should just mention as well, for, for Logan's sake, the media outsiders... Of course, that that's on later today, but um, that's at 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Sundays, and his show ID is 81865. And before I start, I ought to then just give Tim the same courtesy. Uh, Tim, do you briefly want to just mention about uh, your Tim's take on, and then we really will start the topic. Uh, yes, it's um, timstakeon.co.uk, and uh, well, I'll put a link in the chat for people. Okay, and they will be looking forward to getting some reports from you from that little trip you were talking about. Yeah. Okay, well, um, go on. I think he was done. Okay. Oh, he's done. Okay. Well, um, we're um, going to be talking about Merlin Series 4. Remember, after Merlin Series 3, uh, we were, uh, well, most of us were pleased to hear that they'd commissioned two new series. I believe in March of this year they will be actually starting to the filming for Series 5. Series 4 moved to high definition. Uh, there had been a, a little bit of a delay for that. It seemed to be because not so much the budget of high definition itself, but because there are a number of actual um, special effects that are needed for the show, uh, not least the, the dragon, of course, uh, voiced famously by John Hurt. Um, but um, I think it was the cost of doing the those effects in high definition that 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 made that they they standardized uh, on standard definition for so long of course in the bbc they've now got a remit that all new drama needs to be um in hd so that is a great benefit and i must admit that whether we talk about uh, how good the series uh, of merlin was it did look 
definitely better to my eyes in high definition. Um, we've done, by the way, I just should remind you, um, already a, as I guess, welcome guest 11 into the room. Uh, you will be allowed to chat in a moment, guest 11. We're just uh, getting started. Um, we we didn't talk about the first two series, but we did do a topic on uh, series three. And I'm going to appeal to the room now because I just listened back to it earlier today. And boy, was I working hard on that one. Um, it was <laughs> like drawing teeth trying to get comments out of the room. So, But that wasn't because of any reticence of our listeners. Everybody here is quite uh, able, willing and uh, eager to speak. But we were unfortunate on that particular show that um, not many had seen it. And I should just give the proviso as well that people in the room today, there are one or two people that have not seen all of Series 4, but they don't mind being spoiled. So remember, we will try and deal with it in some sort of sequence, but we will be covering spoilers. And just to get us started, and I have an apology to make to Darth, I've got virtually no clips today, and I know he loves my clips, uh, and I'm just annoyed that I've seen that wiki page that has more trailers on that I could have found. So here is a longish clip, but it will be the only clip I'll be playing. So here we go. Money. The darkest hour is just before the dawn. Arthur intends to sacrifice himself to heal the veil. I must take his place. Merlin, you must not do this. I'm going to go first on this because I get a bone to pick with Alice Troughton on this. I was awfully, awfully disappointed with the opening like two or three minutes of, of this episode. Um, let me explain to people in the room uh, who are familiar with it um, or, or who need to uh, It opens with Merlin basically running through the castle with uh, clothes.
with at least a semi-naked Arthur and presented us with a fully clothed one. Um, yeah. I even tweeted to her as well and told her of my disappointment. But that's by the by. <laughs> I just thought I'd open with a with that little observation. <laughs> so you can see yeah. that the important aspect to Ian is the plot. Yes. Plot, yes, plot, exactly. Plot. plot. It's all about the plot. It's all about the, the relationships and the character development and staring at his chest. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, let, uh, go on, Gideon. Uh, no, 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 no. Let's, 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 let's. <laughs> I just wanted to throw that one in the beginning. Now I'll go get me tea. Well, uh, you'll have to hurry up quick because we've only got uh, two or three people on audio. Those people listening to the recording later, after however long we go, if you feel as though we've skated over anything too quickly, or you feel as though we haven't got into any, you know, like Ian, into the sort of the motivation of the characters and their, you know, the driving force behind their, you know, desires and wants and uh, and uh, what, what makes them tick. <laughs> Or if you're just as um, shallow as he is, come on the show and have your uh, have your statements. Okay, let me just give a little bit brief synopsis of this, uh, simply because uh, I need reminding myself. Uh, it's sometimes I haven't I, I watched them as they aired. I watched the whole of series four, but I haven't watched any of them back recently because uh, I had to clear a load of stuff off my drive to uh, watch some other stuff uh, at my free view box, should I say? Okay, so basically the first two stories, and uh, by the way, there are twelve. I just confirm that. No, there were 13 episodes in all, uh, but parts one and two of The Darkest Hour. Um, uh, Million Faces is toughest challenge yet when Morgana's blinkered determination threatens not only Arthur's future, but the very balance of the world. With her magic stronger than ever, the sorceress summons the mighty Kala uh, Lich, I think it is, to tear open the veil between the worlds. Hellish creatures pour forth, killing all who succumb to their touch. With Uther a shadow of his former self, it falls to Arthur and his royal knights, including Lancelot, to protect the kingdom. But it will take more than just swords to vanquish our enemy, and Merlin is shocked to the core when he discovers that the only way to restore equilibrium requires a sacrifice in imaginable proportions. Uh, and basically what happens is that um, uh, Morgana's uh, half-sister Morgane and more goose rather um, uh, is dying, and and she allows herself to be sacrificed. And by her sacrifice, it opens up this uh, veil between uh, the world of the living and the dead. And we have a situation where we have um, all these sort of uh, uh, ghosts or spirits roaming around the castle, as it says. And as soon as it touches people, uh, it, things happen to them. So, uh, anybody, Tim, do you want to go on and talk about uh, The Darkest Hour, parts one and two? We'll take it as a whole and uh, see where we go. I think it's easier for me to take the series as a whole, because like you, Dave, I can't remember everything. And, well, um, fine, whichever, as long as people in the room that are, people listening know that, that, that uh, we will be covering it all. That's fine. So, so some, someone can correct me on character names because I'm terrible at remembering these things. But um, the lady with the long black hair—who is who is that 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 got acted out at the not so much acted out, but um, sent out of the castle and became an independent baddie out outside the court? That's, that's Morgana. Mo Morgana, the, yeah. The, the, the daughter, the king's illegitimate daughter, who um, uh, he never acknowledged, and that was what drove her. She wants to become 
the ruler of Camelot, and that's her driving force. And she can't stand the fact that when she did find out that her king, she didn't know. She, I think she didn't think the king knew. But then when she found out that he knew, but would never own up to uh, and let her take her rightful place in court, that really, uh, you know, made her spiteful and vengeful and so on. Well, what what I enjoyed about this fourth series is now she's outside the court. You think, well, how's she going to know what's going on? And it turns out she's got this um, spy in the in their midst, who's the well, she's Arthur's. Uh, he's Arthur's uncle, isn't he? And so, because he's like a trusted member of the family, he's like in on all the major decisions and see someone Arthur goes to to seek advice. But all the time, he's going to Morgana and saying, "Oh, Arthur's about to do this, and Arthur's about to do that." And so. That that put an, an interesting, interesting twist on it this year, and um, I say like you, Dave, my memory of it's not particularly good, so I can't remember many well, it's episodes. Agri- to Agrivain, talk about. I think it was Agravain. Yeah. Ah, that was his name. Lord yeah. Agravain. It actually makes him makes him more more I, I, forget, well, I also <laughs> forget the actor's name that was playing him, but he, he was extremely good. It was a very good performance throughout the, the Nathaniel series. Parker Nathaniel Parker that's it yes a very good very good top name there and um, <laughs> I don't really want, know what else to say about uh, Merlin this this most recent season other than the fact that um, well as we say that it's gone HD now and they're now shooting it on from what I can tell 35mm film and so it just it looks gorgeous and I I think it has Story-wise, quite possibly improved since the, the third series. It's, it did seem more, more gripping, more watchable as as the weeks go by. But um, other than that, I can only really talk about it in general terms because, like you, Dave, I've only really seen these things the once, and so I don't have anything to to draw on to say much more than that. Right. Yeah, I, I'm used to seeing that Nathaniel Parker. Uh, he's been in quite a few of the. Um, you know the uh, like the Bronte are the, uh, the 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 classical dramas that have been on uh, BBC, and of course uh, he was um, in Inspector Detective Lindsay. Inspector Lindsay. Yeah, yeah. So uh, well, hopefully you'll come back in, uh, Tim. Mm. And if anything drops back into your memory, please do it because uh, we we are somewhat uh, depleted of people in call. Now I believe that Darth is with us. He actually did see um, part of this first episode, and then uh, he jumped right to the end. So since uh, it looks as though with the people in the room, we may uh, be having to sort of not do this episode by episode. Uh, Darth, do you want to cover anything and all that you know about this series? Uh, do you know enough about the first part of it to uh, confine yourself to that for now? Well, I think I will just confine myself to the beginning because I would kind of like to hear you guys talk about the middle of the series. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, I can only say I watched a portion of the first uh, episode, so not even the first story, and I just couldn't make it all the way through. I, I really didn't find it to be anything engaging. Now, having said that, uh, I... what. It, I don't think that I made it all the way through series three, so therefore there there may well have been some things in there um, 
I, I guess I should let me let me just start from the beginning and explain what I've seen of the the series entire because that might well help other people who are listening shape their opinions about my opinion. Um, so I saw the entirety of series one. I saw the entirety of series two, and then I saw the beginning and a couple. Well, I don't know half, let's say, of series three. And then at that point it just became laborious and um you know my my overall criticism of of Merlin up to this point is a, a couple of things one i I don't think that the acting is always that great um uh, I especially have found fault in series one and two particularly with the star with colin morgan i I find him um at least in those early episodes to be um Unexceptional to not exactly poor, but um, I don't know what the right word. Unexceptional, I guess, is a good enough word. Um, there, there, there have been times where I, I think that he's been given some great lines and just not quite hit them the way that I would have thought would have uh, maximized the meaning out of the lines. I think he, he I can remember some episodes um, where he's done particularly poorly, and that, those are episodes having to do with his own character falling in love. There was one whole episode about that where he, he might have fallen in love with some girl, and I just thought he was horrible in that one episode. And that episode was one of the ones that made me just think, okay, this is not that great of a show. Um, so there's some acting issues. Uh, I, I don't, you know, the the actor who's playing Morgane or Morgana, um, I think is... Stunningly gorgeous, but Kate McGrath. That's not, yeah, that's not quite enough to keep me going. Um, and I think they also did some rather poor things with her character. They kept her on the boil a little bit too long. So you were, if you know what the basic structure of the Arthurian legend is, I think she wasn't really an enemy until the very end of Series 2 and the beginning of Series 3. And that was just a long time waiting for that character to finally emerge. And she's been great as an evil character, I think. I mean, not exceptional, but she's been certainly completely adequate to the to the role of being the villain of the piece. But as just sort of the courtier... Um, you know, I, I think she was very weak, um, and and I mean this as an actor. I just think that she was not capable of making that character that interesting. Now, of course, she was hampered by some terrible lines and some underwritten parts and all that, but still, it just took a long time for that character to do anything interesting, I think. Um, so... You know, I'm coming into series four with oh, and and I think the overall criticism too is just I have found most of the stories to be incredibly simplistic. As in, by the end of the teaser, I pretty much knew what the entire story was going to be about, or if not the entire story, then at least major parts of it. And there just haven't been as many twists as I would have liked in plots. I also found that, you know, and this is, again, with Colin Morgan and, and to an extent, um, oh, hell, what's, who's the guy who plays Arthur? Um, whatever his name is. Um, Bradley James. That, 
There you go, Bradley James. Their interplay in the beginning, um, and, and I mean, you know, for a good two seasons, I think, was not that interesting. I mean, I know it was supposed to evoke buddy-buddy, you know, rich man, poor man, dynamics. Clark um, Luther, uh, Clark and... Um, uh, Luther, yeah, Le- Clark and Lex Luther, that sort of... We're friends this week, then something happens. We're not friends, and do you want to be my friend again? And that very, I mean, I I just would have put it more like, you know, buddy buddy on the road film, you know, kind of just, you know, the two hander approach, the um, uh, lethal weapon ish kind of buddy buddy film, and I just haven't bought a lot of that. Um, I I think it's gotten a little bit better from what little taste I had of the end of this series four, but certainly that was one of the things that really bugged me about Merlin in its, um, you know, for most of its life, let's say this far. So that's the kind of baggage that I came to when I, when I got to this first episode of series four, I mean, I, I don't know that I, I just looked at it and I thought this is not doing anything for me. I mean, it's 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 okay. The production values are okay. They're not they're not stellar, um, and I just didn't even make it to the end. And it wasn't like I was tired. It wasn't the, you know that I had other things to do. I was trying to give the program my full attention, and I just got three quarters of the way through, and I said this has not improved over when I left it in the middle of last season, so I'm just not going to bother anymore. And at the same time, I also, um, well, I guess not at the same time as this, but, but prior to the beginning of, of um, Series 4, uh, that is between Series 3 and Series 4, and Camelot from Stars, uh, which is Chris Chibnall's turn on the Arthurian legend, and it is just so flatly superior in every way to Merlin that it makes Merlin look like a kid's show. Which I guess in a way it is. <laughs> Merlin, Merlin is a family show. Yeah. And, and uh, Camelot certainly uh, Camelot, isn't. Camelot, <laughs> I wouldn't say it certainly isn't, but it... There's well, a bit it, of nakedness it, in it. That doesn't make it not a family show, to my mind. I mean, oh, you know, right. the human body is a natural condition. That doesn't mean... Family shouldn't be seeing that. I mean, you know, you can go to a museum and see. Well, there's your sex know, on the beach, or whatever. There's sex on the beach. Again, yeah. how else do you get a family butt through sex? But you know, leaving that yeah, to one side, right. whether you agree or disagree with that, the actual mechanics of of the the show are, I mean, what the what the plots are around. What 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 am I trying to say? The focus of the plots in Camelot is just much more intricate political machinations, um, much more uh, about the characters and things that arise from the characters, whereas I think this is much safer family there. And, you know, that's what it is, and that's fine. Um, But, you know, when you have two versions of an Arthurian legend coming out at the same time, you're inevitably going to look at them and say, which one do you like? In the same way that, you know, we, over the the Christmas holidays, had two versions of the Sherlock legend. 
going around. And, you know, I think that there will be some people who may have gravitated towards the BBC television version, and there's some people who are going to gravitate towards, you know, the film version that's out. Um, but right. I mean, for me, for me, the presence of Camelot destroyed any possibility that I was ever going to enjoy the show. And I'll leave it right. there. Of course, the well, the, the, the actors, of course, on the Camelot one was uh, Joseph Fiennes, uh, which I think is, is it Ralph Fiennes' younger oh, brother or something. Yeah, uh, you had the Eva Green, of course. Uh, we had uh, Sinad Kuzak, is it? Uh, we also, by the way, Chip Chung. Um, Chung, yeah. Yeah, was in it. Who obviously we know from Utopia and from Turn Left in Doctor Who. Um, let me just ask you one more question before you we go back to Ian. Maybe I'll ask if uh, see if Tim wants to say anything in a moment before he leaves us. Um, the episodes you did watch were all directed by uh, Alice Troughton. Uh, yeah. Of course, that does the Sarah Jane Adventures, some Torchwood, Doctor some Doctor Who. Um, were you disappointed with her direction? Then do you think? Um, you said it was a. I mean, I suppose it's not her fault that the plot isn't convoluted. Uh, that's the writer, but. Um, well, I mean, it is her fault if the. Uh, I I don't know what exactly made me turn off that first episode, um, and you know I watched the last two simply because it w- it was about a subject matter that had been in. Camelot, and I wanted to contrast and compare, so I was I was bound and determined to make it all the way through that. Uh, I, other than noticing that it was directed by Alice Troughton, um, well, I mean, one thing I guess I can say directorially, and I, you know, I don't know if this is make or break or whatever. One thing I noticed certainly in the last two episodes is that you know her use of slow mo, and I don't know if that's now become a a house style on Merlin. I don't remember it being the house style of the earlier seasons, but this this sort of matrixy. Um, when we cast a spell, we temporarily go into slow mo. Uh, that became annoying to me after a while, and certainly that would have been either a directorial choice by Troughton or a, a directorial choice by the producers. You know, one of the two that mandated, yes, we shall have slow-mo shots, and I just thought, come on. I mean, how many times can we see that? Once or twice, whatever, but there must have been at least 20 occurrences of slow-mo in the last two episodes of Series 4 alone, which I could do without. Okay. Let me just see if Tim, before he goes, wants to add any other thoughts that have occurred to him, because he, he said he was bowing out at eight, I think. Tim? Um... No, I don't really have anything to add, so I'll catch the rest of the show in the week. Thanks very much, Dave. Okay. Thanks, thanks, for, for, thanks for coming in. Yeah. Um, um, we we do have a few other people in the room, but they're not as at the moment on mic, uh, Riffle. So, uh, Ian, do you want to go and talk a little bit more about these? Or do you want to move on to the next yeah. story? Yeah. Uh, I mean, the the opening... I mean, I'm going to treat the opening episodes because we're going to be moving on to the Wicked Day anyway um, but this is where for me the we start setting up uh, where I've wanted the show to be for a little while now as um, of course in the Wicked Day which is the third episode in um, we lose uh, we lose uh, 
Anthony Head as, as Uther, which to me has been a long time coming. Um, really kind of got sick and tired of the constant, um, you know, no, you do things this way, son. No, you do things this way, son. Oh, I can't do that because we're going against Dad. It, it it really became kind of a tiresome little plot device of of holding him back. I mean, we know what Arthur's supposed to turn into, and and here's this guy constantly swatting him across the head, going, "Bad boy, don't do that." You know, um, the peasants wouldn't you know like it. Um, uh, it's like I I agree with with. Uh, Darth, that, that, that Morgane was kept in that position too, far, far too long. Um, and, and that's what I like about the opening three episodes of this, is we finally, well, almost, almost finally get everybody in their respective places. Um, of course, he still hasn't, uh, um, we still don't have our queen yet, but that's, 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 that's coming down the track. Um, but, the only thing, and there's nothing against the actor or the or the part or anything, but I didn't like the fact that we had, um, um, oh, I just said his name before, Agravain, because Agravain became a kind of uh, mishmash of, of Uther and and uh, Morgana, you know, the 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 spy in the realm. And telling him what to do, and it's just like, can we get rid of this guy? Um, I understand they kind of. It, it was a nice little transition, I guess, because you, you didn't want to go from one to the other, and they had to basically test Arthur, and and that's what this that's what this whole series to me is, um, is the progression of the characters into their as were final roles, um, and uh, yeah, I mean. For for good and bad. I mean, like we were discussing before, it's it's a family show, and that's what it should be taken as. It's it's not it's not Camelot, um, and it's a bit of fun. And kids like to see the magic spells and everything. And you know, I do too, because I like magic. It's fun. Um, and so yeah, I mean, I, I Darth and I did have actually actually have a talk, and I, I'm I'm thinking. Well, I'm hoping that that's one of the reasons why he actually at least watched the last two episodes to kind of see where we ended up um but yeah uh i think that's enough for now we'll, we'll probably quick go through uh since uh it's just me and you dave i just want to pick up uh, i want to pick up on what darth was saying about this smallville thing uh mm-hmm. like when you've just said about uther and his role in sort of uh keeping arthur down i mean that that was very much similar to um you know the the lex luther and his father lionel. Uh, having that lionel luther uh, mm-hmm. so there was that parallel the parallel yeah. between uh you know uh the the two main leads uh arthur and merlin and then um Agravain, I think you're right. Uh, I think the Agravain character was almost verging on not pantomime baddie, mm. but and I, I'm not. You, you, and I, you're I, actually getting a lot closer. Than, yeah, he was quite a. Think? I think he was kind of a bit of a pantomime baddie, but it's a bit of fun because. Um, yeah. Like we say, we're, 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 we're it's just going to be the two of us talking now, so um, it's probably going to be. I think we should just jump around and spoil things. Um, so if you haven't seen it and you want to, then now would be the time to tune. <laughs> out um, until you've seen it. But, uh, you know, the whole idea is for him to get his comeuppance, and you know he's going to. It's just a matter of who's going to deliver it, and in what fashion. 
and for that it serves its purpose you you just you know you're waiting for that time where oh and this is the other thing I meant to mention is what a it was a bit of a cop out uh ending for for Uther I mean really he ended up being this broken man who just you know I mean yes he he sacrifices himself for for his son but it was kind of a wimpy uh I expected him to go out in combat or something or you know but no it's well, it I started out with him being broken-hearted, didn't he? Because right, of, yeah. Uh, the, uh, uh, because of Morgana, and uh, he, he was he was uh, racked with guilt, uh, yeah. amongst other things as well. And then, yeah, but the, the, I think they're going back to the Agravain character. Basically, the Agravain character took over the Morgana role inside the castle because mm. uh, there were times when Morgana was in the castle where, you know... Um, you know, she she would say something to say Guinevere in her room, and then she'd look in a mirror, and the you know the smile would cross her face to tell the audience that uh, what she just said to uh, you know uh, Guinevere, you know, oh, uh, it's all right, Guinevere, you can take the morning off, you know, aren't I a nice princess to you? And then she'd turn to her thing, and she basically wanted out of her way because she was going to put some um, uh, effigy uh, that Morgus had given her under the bed of. Uh, Somebody, I'm getting yeah. some echo back from somewhere, but um, hmm. where that's possibly coming from. Um, now, now that Darth Speck, I'll, 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 um, I won't be agreeing with him anymore. <laughs> <laughs> you missed all Damn the good you, bits. Sir. Damn you! Yeah, you missed all the good bits where I was agreeing with him. Um, but yeah, we, we, I, I briefly mentioned the, the, the fact that um, I think one of the reasons why we went and watched these last two is because you know we had that bit of a chat after the last show about doing this show and, and where I thought the show had gone. Um, I'm hoping I didn't oversell it. <laughs> oh, no, I mean, uh, that's absolutely true. The, the, the entire reason that I watched those two was because... Well, the entire reason I watched any Merlin was because of you. The reason I chose those last two was because of their subject matter and because of the title of this story. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, we just got done talking about uh, basically getting rid of Uther and, you know, uh, how I'm glad to see the back of him because he's just basically holding Uther back um, and not really liking the uh, uh, the Agravain character because he became the kind of you know, spy on the court, still it's, kind of holding Uther back and giving him false. It's kind of like, oh, we've done this with other characters. Can we just not have him? But... I said it's all set because in the last episode he gets his comeuppance and it's good. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, I, I I have heard things about that. Is it the third episode or the fourth episode? Whatever episode it is that this is will. I have actually heard from other people some, some good things about that, and I was tempted mm-hmm. to watch that one, but um, owing to a lack of time, I had to just say right. one story, 90 minutes, whatever. That's what we're going to do. Um, I have to say, though, uh, and again, this is without... Well, I mean, it's not that he's in Series 4 all that much, but, um, you know, just speaking to whether that character is viable. Um, I I know that it is a common complaint of a lot of people who watch this show that it has taken too long for us to get to the point of it being about King Arthur as opposed to Prince Arthur. And, frankly, that was one of the things that I really dug about Series 1 and Series 2 was that, you had this 
um, figure that is not, I mean, it's certainly part of the Arthurian legend. I mean, Pendragon is as old as the, the legend itself, but isn't really explored that much in most modern adaptations of the legend. Uh, and I found him to be really interesting, and it doesn't hurt that I love Anthony Head, um, and that there were some great scenes between Anthony Head and, and um, oh, Richard Wilson. Um, mm-hmm. So you had some, some proper, what I call proper, which is probably terribly area, but you had proper acting scenes um, in amongst the teenagers. Um, yeah. And I, I, I thought there was great chemistry, and I really liked that character, and I really liked that he was opposed to magic and that he was sometimes... Um, to our eyes, completely unbearable. I mean, there was a definite character there. Um, and, you know, the darkness about Morgana and what he knew, what he didn't know, who he sired, who he didn't sire, you know, that, that whole thing I thought was interesting. Um, so I'm not... Just based on the two episodes that I've now seen without him in it, I'm not entirely sure that I think that the show is better without him. But again, I've only seen two episodes and Whatever. I like the fact that basically we were now moving the plot along and it was... Because it just became... Not that it was a bad character, but just the use of, you know, um, you know one minute Arthur's believing in Merlin and this and that and, and he's leaning towards being kind about magic and then, and then you know, Uther snaps him back every time. Right. Every time he comes... strives to be... You know, Arthur, he gets slapped across the top of the head and said, naughty boy, get back into the... And, and that's what became kind of tiresome for me, was we were constantly... Yeah. This view of, oh, now I'm being good, and boom, back to daddy. And, yeah. So, not that there was anything wrong with the Uther character, because he was kind of cool and mean and a bit of a bastard, and, you know. Um, yeah. It was just the way the whole thing... Like, like you were saying with Morgana, it was like... We got too right. much of her being on the, you know, on the background, on the boil, and then, you know, then she was in the court, but being evil, and nobody knew, and everybody loved her, and I was just like, really, can she Ooh. just leave and go out and be evil proper? <laughs> well, well, they did plan that a little bit because, of course, um, Merlin found out about her, but the only he couldn't admit that he found out about her because the only way. He could do that was by exposing himself as uh, also dabbling in sorcery. Uh, and that was, of course, why the Uther P- uh, Pendragon character was so uh, utterly opposed to magic. Uh, he blamed it for taking away his wife and so on. So you had that constraint. But, and, uh, and while Darth was away, I was saying Darth about that comparison with Smallville. I mean, uh, with the, uh, the, the song. But the other thing is that they, they did that with the... Um, you know the the rolling out of the mythos of Superman as it goes in Smallville. You know, occasionally him acquiring new skills, like uh, uh, this one where he can suddenly see through a vault, and uh, uh, you know his, right. his vision starts setting fire to places. And uh, you know there was that comic, well I thought comic without spoiling uh, Smallville for anybody, where uh, he, uh, it was when he was um, getting um, how can I put it. When he was getting uh, fancy in a young lady, it, <laughs> he exhibited it by flames coming out of his eyes. You know, it was, it, it was. That's how they referred to it. That he was getting aroused, and he suddenly couldn't control, and he was 
blasting the barn with the right. things. So, so here they they've had this with, um, you know, with um, the Colin character with Merlin uh, bringing things out. Then, then, then things have had to sort of go for not very good explanation, but back into the closet because of other things that have happened. You know, you have this sort of reset button. But I think that uh, that's, I that's think an interesting. Must... Sorry to interrupt you, but that, that is that is a very interesting comparison and and a worthy one to make uh, because essentially. We all know that Merlin was entirely inspired by Smallville. I mean, they, the the I think Julian what's his name Julian um, Julian Simpson who's the executive producer and creator Julian whatever his name Howard I, I forget Julian somebody you know has sort of gone on record as saying you know it, it is essentially Smallville for the Arthur legend and um, it's very interesting that you mentioned that the way that Smallville developed in its first four years, because as you say, he got different powers. He became closer to Superman, but none of that was put back in the box. It was, you know, once he discovered X-ray vision, he had X-ray vision. Once he discovered, you know, um, superhero, he had it. Once he discovered levitation, he didn't have that, but that was a part of the, you know, eventual quest, you know, that, that was the tease. And once he learned how to fly, that was it. That's, that's your last episode, you know. Mm. Um, and I think you're quite right. And this is, this is, I think, the dissatisfaction that Ian is expressing, too, is that you, the problem with Merlin is not necessarily that you've got the, um, the king. I mean, that, that's symptomatic of the problem, but that's not necessarily the problem itself. The problem is no forward progress for the first three years, two or three years, could be made with almost any character except for Morgana. Um, because, you know, like you said, they would, they would always just punch a reset button. You couldn't, you couldn't make any progress on the, the issue of magic, really, because Merlin had to... They, they did, in a way, the structure of the, the series is, is, is screwed up, kind of, because they made magic an unforgivable death penalty kind of sin. So Merlin can't express the magic without being, you know, killed. And it does require the exit of the king. You're not going to give... Because they weren't allowing the king to moderate his opinions on magic at all. And so, because there's no growth of the king there's character, and no ability for that character to change his opinion on magic or on you know his role in the kingdom no ability for him to allow the prince to become prince regent or something better than just regular prince um arthur and merlin are therefore stuck and so every time they make a little bit of progress as you say it, it, a reset button has to be hit and it's that's a very different structure to smallville well, sorry, well, well, no, 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 yeah. The other thing is, though, that they, they, they did get around that in one way by introducing um, uh, Merlin, uh, not not the old old Merlin, but uh, the young Merlin doing a magic so that he became his older self. So he became this Emrys character. So that Morgana had, uh, she was in pursuit of something. Now they've done this in Smallville. Oh, where, is that uh, what that was? Okay. Yeah. Right. So that's what they've I done didn't with quite the, understand the, that. Okay. They're all searching for the red blue blur, right? Uh, and they don't realise that red blue blur and and Clark are the same, one and the same. 
Um, yeah. the, the point being here is that uh, the fact that they, they have seen this older man and Morgana doesn't then uh, think of Merlin as a, a, as a threat to her. She knows he knows his secret. She knows there's some reason why he's keeping quiet. But the point is that um, she, she doesn't twig on him because she's seen this old man, this Emrys, who's thwarted her on at least one occasion. And that basically is, Col- is alter ego. I think Colin Morgan just plays bluntly. <laughs> he plays this old crotchety guy. <laughs> and just the, the neat thing about it is it gives gives Merlin the the ability to be just a real brat to these people that who have constantly kind of looked down on him as being just the the you know the 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 physician's assistant. And it's quite nice to see him kind of get out and about and in a robe and 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 do magic and tick people off. Okay, that makes sense. It, he just appears very briefly in the last episode, I think, and I was like, and that's clearly Merlin, that's clearly Colin Morgan. No, you, what the hell's going on with that? Okay. Right. So it the, the another the, one where there's a, an illness, isn't there? Uh, they go to, um, uh, the, there's a village where Guinevere has been banished to because, of course, she had this uh, sided with Lancelot and uh, so she's she was, from the, the end of last series, she was banished and this village where that she's in, there's, um, there's an illness, isn't there? And she, um, uh, so so they send the the young boy out to try and cure him and he can't and they talk about this old man who can perhaps help and uh, uh, and then they bring the old man of course to help Uther uh, don't they so I mean and, right. and the other thing it did it is allowed to have that in the credits now you actually see what people think of as Merlin actually in the credits as well now yeah yeah, yeah it ends up actually being um um, Merlin really that actually um, finishes Uther off, um, interestingly enough. But in in the guise of um, Emerus, um, yeah. So it's an interesting thing. Uh, okay. The, the the clip you heard before when 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 uh, when Arthur was saying, "What were you doing in there?" He's like peeing the whole time I was. In there, that that's from from the episode where he goes to consult with him, and so he has to go change and, and make himself old, and then come in the back door of this place, um, and he spends the entire time just basically um, slapping Arthur around and telling him how ridiculous he is because he can get away with it, um, which is one of the reasons why I like the show is is, is, is the comedy element, but especially between the two of them, um, I kind of enjoy the the interplay. But we should probably move through these episodes because I'd like to talk about the end. But uh, um, I think we should kind of touch on points uh, throughout the series uh, before we get into the last three, really, which is where I want to talk the most. Um, The one thing I did like this series is there weren't so many uh, monster um, uh, magician of 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 the episode. You know the you know these. Oh yeah, it's this this uh, monster's been set free, and we're gonna put it back in the bottle. Uh, this uh, wizard that uh, nobody knew of before has just come into town and 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 put a curse on everybody. Now we're gonna get rid of them. There was less of that. I think Lamia was the probably the worst one for it. Um, which is gonna choose like a siren. Um, and uh, she just basically that's the one where G- where Guinevere comes back into it, doesn't she? No. Yeah, and the, uh, no. 
No, it's not. But when the the menfolk of Guinevere's home village fall victim to this mysterious illness, Gaius sends Merlin along with the right, Guinevere and the knights to cure them. She doesn't. She doesn't get cast out until after that. Oh right, 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 right. Anyway, um, but yes, uh, after Wicked Day, um, we had the discovery of the last remaining dragon's egg, which um, is is fairly important. We get to see the dragon again, which is great. Um, nice little kind of relationship between now that the shoes on the other foot, really, and 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 Merlin um, can can speak to dragons. Um, and and so it's a nice little thing now that you know rather than going down there and saying could you please tell me that now he can just basically call the dragon on command which is kind of neat I like it and they're not in a cave anymore <laughs> they're out in the open um, but yes uh, it's a nice little episode um, and uh, anything about dragons I think is kind of cool a dragon's egg is even cooler some some I I think the, the Last series and this series started looking real nice. They really kind of, I think, did some nice detail on these episodes, some of the castles that they go to and everything. Do you remember this one, Dave? Or yeah, yeah, that's that's the one where they where it turns out that the egg is uh, they actually go hunting for this uh, egg, and um, it turns out that this is going to be a, a um, what's it called a white a white a, what they call it all white dragon, isn't it? Um, What's it mm, called? They have no pigmentation. Uh, I can't remember. Uh, but basically, uh, they, they go on this quest, and you know, so everybody's like, "Oh, we need to destroy this because it's a dragon egg." Um, and of course, uh, Merlin ends up saving the egg, and, save and he gives it to um, to the dragon to basically hatch. Because apparently, they can just live for ages in eggs, which is kind of a neat little fallback plan. <laughs> and, and and that dragon comes back in towards the end of the story, I think, right. at the end of the yep. series. Yep. Uh, moving on to the next episode, his father's son. Uh, for the first time since his coronation, Arthur finds out what it's really like to be the king. This is a neat little episode. It's a bit kind of... Uh, uh, Morgana has, has uh, got another ally, uh, Queen Annis, uh, um, and there's a a disagreement, as there always is between the two uh, kingdoms. Uh, but really, what is nice is the way that they have Arthur dealing with this. Here's here's Arthur coming kind of coming out and being his own guy, um, and he has to. I mean, at one point there's a battle sequence, which there's a bit of magic involved, um, but it's more the words that that kind of speak to this episode and and what um, what he does in this. It, it, it is a bit of a kind of a you know enchantment of the week, but there's a little more substance to it towards the end, of course. Dave? Yeah, no, I haven't really got a lot to say about some of the middle ones. They did tend to blur together somewhat, uh, but that's probably my fault because I, I only watched them once. Um, uh, and obviously Darth won't want to comment on these middle ones, so let me just... Right. Uh, that's why I'm just kind read of moving the... yeah. briefly through and... Um... Well, you do so, that then. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, um, so the next one after his, his, his father's son is uh, uh, a servant has two masters. Basically, a bit of an enchantment of the week, but a, a fun one. 
uh, basically we get the the old standby of the evil twin in in uh, in Merlin basically being enchanted uh, and trying to kill Arthur in numerous ways, which usually end up uh, with Gaius and and uh, uh, and, and Gwen knocking him out in various fashions, so he can't do any harm. Um, Again, light-hearted and but but fun because you know, Colin Morgan again gets to kind of come out of the the yes yes slayer kind of role and 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 be a bit of a dick. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember this one, Dave? Yeah, this is this, this one where he try he sets up a, a booby trap in the mm. uh, he's thinking with a with a. An, an arrow and so on, and uh, lots of little tricks like that. But yes, you're quite right. It was like the goblin one that he had last season, but it wasn't so ridiculous. It was it was quite a good one in its own way, but didn't move the plot along. Right, right. Um, and, and we're uh, we ha- we kind of have to apologise for this episode of, of the Golden Globe because, like I said, there's uh, only a couple of us on audio. Uh, but hopefully, this gives you enough uh, information to maybe uh, go watch them yourself. Um, like Dave said, you know, we're always open if you want to send in a, an audio clip or two. Uh, we can always find time to include that. Plus, uh, come check out our Facebook page, where there's always a lot going on in there, actually. A lot more than I'd ever counted on, which is nice. There's some nice conversations going on over there. Uh, so feel free to, to drop in uh, on Facebook at the uh, Colton page and uh, let us know what you think. Anyway. Well, just to throw in a question here, uh, sure. since you guys know about the middle of the series, mm-hmm. you just mentioned that Goblin episode, and of course, mm-hmm. yes, ridiculous, but also kind of good because it's got Georgia Moffat in it. Um, <laughs> one of the things that was always fun for the early seasons, I think, of the show for me was who was the guest star. And uh, right. so I guess what I'm wondering is, in the middle of the series, are there any guest stars that are of note? Uh, Lin- Lin- Lindsay Duncan was in there as uh, oh. Queen Annis. Oh, okay. Yeah, uh, and, and his father's son. Yeah, he, she, Lindsay Duncan was in there. Um, some of the names I'm um, James Callis was in there. Oh, Phil uh, Davis. I'm, I'm, I'm looking through Phil, the list. Phil, Phil Davis, who played uh, one of the soothsayers in Eyes uh, mm. of Pompeii, he was in it. The Glee Man. Uh, Charlene McKenna, who I Miranda, don't know, I'm just reading off names. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Not quite the end, you, you saw them, but Miranda, Miranda Rayson and, and, and Ben Daniels were just fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, but we'll get to that. <laughs> okay, cool. I didn't actually recognize it being Ben Daniels until, like, the second episode. <laughs> but, anyway. but yeah, those were some of the uh, the, the the guests. Uh, let's see, where were we? Uh, uh, the secret sharer next. Oh, yes, they, uh, they kidnapped Gaius. Uh, kind of a, a neat episode there where they're basically trying to find out. Basically, the the whole thing is that she wants to know who Gai- uh, who, um, who Emerus is. Um, and he doesn't... Oh, he does at the very, very last minute, but, uh, Things turn against uh, Morgana when when they actually find out who Emerus is, and and they know who Emerus is and what he's supposed to do. And uh, um, yeah, because she um, I forgot who she uh, has help her out. Elater is called or something. 
Mm. But uh, yeah, he uh, realizes. He's a priest. Yeah. Mm. He he against Morgana and go, oh no 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 no. <laughs> That's the part and, played uh, by Gary Lewis. Yeah. Mm, yeah. So yeah, again, nice middle of the road one. Um, uh, uh, we talk, we actor, talked about, by the way, he, he was he played Billy Elliot's father. If you're trying to picture what he looks like, mm. you ever seen the Billy Elliot film? Right. And he was in Outcasts. Ah. Um, we talked a bit about Lamia again. Uh, you know, yeah, it was a bit too monster of the week for me. Um, but. Yeah, what did you think, Dave? I mean... That, that's the one where they had this strange uh, uh, thing in the village, wasn't it? The uh, When the menfolk of Guinevere's home village fallen victim to this uh, mysterious English, uh, illness. This is when... Uh, well, of course, I suppose it's supposed to show the character development of the young Merlin because Gaius trusts him to actually go and, uh, and deal with that. Uh, but uh, he finds out that it's not an illness, but it's a, a magical thing that's happening. Um, right. There's this uh, this this young girl, this uh, is it Lamia, that yeah, um, that uh, and it finds out that uh, she she can put all the uh, the knights. They end up falling out with each other, don't they? Uh, right. That's she's quite like, amusing like a, when they're all. A, yeah, she's like a siren, you know, where you know they're all like protective of her, but then they start infighting and. Yeah, it wasn't my. It was probably my least favorite episode of the entire series, just because it. it was that kind of monster of the week kind of you know well, well, nobody and nobody would through. believe nobody would believe Merlin until the last minute yeah. and then they're like oh yeah <laughs> but but then right at the end she did this mes- metamorphosis into this this creature didn't she yeah it's actually that that part was kind of impressive when you realized you know she didn't just end up being somebody blue with fangs it was this huge, like, I think it was like a snake-like creature. Mm. And it was just <laughs> all over the place. It was kind of, kind of neat. And, uh, of course, Arthur gets knocked out. So then Merlin can use magic. Uh, <laughs> way. All right. Things start heating up in the next episode. Uh, Lancelot Luke. Uh, when Lancelot returns from the dead, because of course we lost him in the uh, beginning, which I which confused the heck out of me, uh, and in the second episode he uh, basically sacrifices himself so that everybody else can live by throwing himself into this dark void thing. Uh, anyway, uh, Morgana brings him back from the dead and uh, 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 brings him under her spell, basically in order to uh, separate Arthur and uh, Guinevere Quine. because. Uh, he's just, Arthur has just proposed and basically told the kingdom, "This is what I'm going to do. How are you? You know, I, I marry in the blacksmith's daughter. So that's to you, uh, which is kind of cool. It's like, yes, it came on a little bit sudden for me. I was like, we we didn't get a lot of development in their relationship too much in the series um, that I would have liked leading up to this point, but." We've always known that they're destined to be together, and he loves her, you know, more than anything else. Um, so, yeah, I'm a bit forgiving. Uh, but of course, you know, bringing back Lancelot, who she previously had uh, feelings for, um, and then he in turn enchants her, and she can't stay away from him. And Arthur sees him kissing, and at the end of the episode, basically, Guinevere gets cast out. Uh, right, that's right. Yeah, Lancelot gets 
re-killed um, and set out on a funeral pyre out on the, the, the water. But the interesting thing was, and they didn't really make a huge deal about it, is that uh, Merlin reached down um, and cast some kind of spell and he wept briefly and said, thank you, Merlin, and then died again. And I was like, huh, interesting. Uh, because, of course, uh, Lancelot knew that, that Merlin had magic, um, which is one of the reasons why they knew this wasn't the true Lancelot. So whether they were he was he brought Lancelot's true spirit into the body to allow it to die properly, I don't know. They didn't really explain it, which, you know, sometimes you don't want things explained completely, and other times it's like, what actually did happen? <laughs> so. There's a way back for Lancelot, that's the point, isn't it? Uh, I don't know, they just burned his body. <laughs> well, so I don't know. He, I mean, that's, that's the thing. I guess that's the confusing part of this is we always knew there was a love triangle, but how this show goes around, you know, telling it is is, is another matter. I mean, this may be the end of Lancelot. Um, the actor may no longer be available. He may have come back for a guest spot to finally like dead did him. I don't know. Uh, but yeah, so yeah, there's some we'll doctor they burnt the uh, the doctor's body too. I mean, I, 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 you know, whether he made the flames non-consuming or mm. whatever. Yeah, or whether it's possible to bring him properly back from the other side. Right. I mean, <clears throat> yeah, yeah. Who knows? Uh, did you want to say anything more on that episode? No, 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 no. Um, no. Of course, it, it did. It did exactly what I suppose it intended to. It, dro- it drove this wedge. Between Arthur and Guinevere, of course. Right, and it was uh, neat. I mean, like I said, to, to the very end, and you know, he basically says, yeah, I, "I love you more than anything, but you have to leave. Get out. And if you ever come back here, I'm killing you. You know, I'll have you put to death." Um, so it's like, wow, tough love. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, we're heading towards the end here, whether it be the show or the uh, <laughs> or talking about the episodes. Uh, next episode, episode ten, a herald of of age. Uh, the Camelot Knights stumble across an eerie shrine in the deep of the forest, its chilling atmosphere betraying a dark history left uh, undisturbed. But when Elian uh, ignores the warning, his actions spark a chain of events more frightening than anyone could possibly have imagined. I like this episode. This episode to me was a turning point for Arthur, which I loved. Um... A bit of a monster of the week, you could say, and it, at the beginning of it, that's what I thought it was. It's along the lines of Lamia. You know, they find something they shouldn't be involved in, and you know, um, one of the characters is acting out of sorts. Um, basically, what happens is, you know, it was supposed to be a, a sacred site, and uh, Elian um, drinks some water out of a well and starts seeing this child um, and dripping with water, dripping yeah. with water. Which I'm wondering whether they managed to whether they refined the effect that they used on Waters of Mars to accomplish some of the effects you saw on this. Uh, but the the important part of this episode for me was because I actually did fall asleep in part of it. It was late. That's all I'm saying. Um, but towards the end, you're led to believe that um, I mean one of the reasons why the, the the kid wants to take revenge on Arthur is because uh, it had been an, uh, an encampment of druids, etc., and they were all slaughtered. They were all put to death. 
and one assumes throughout the episode that this is of uh, Uther's doing. Uther did this, you know, and so he's taking revenge on Uther's son. It yeah, just remind very... me of all that. I was just saying, just remind El, th- that's Gwen's brother, this character that uh, first gets yeah. uh, tricks to watch. It's the one that's her brother. Yeah, he's one of the, the knights of, uh, well, the as yet named, unnamed round table. Um, but yeah, uh, so it's a bit of, you know, he's trying to kill after and everything. But the, the main crux of this, and it's just in the last, like, I think, five minutes, is that. Um, they they go back to the to the location of the slaughter, and um, there's the confrontation between the spirit and and uh, and Arthur, and he basically drops down on his knees and says, "Fine, kill me," uh, and reveals the fact that it yes, while it was Uther's decision to to, to go out and slaughter them all, Arthur carried it out. Um, and admits his guilt and and you know pleads, which I think is just a beautiful thing. I just really kind of the end of this episode just really spoke to me about the progression now of of Arthur, um, the prince, and Arthur the king, and where his character is. You see a, a step up of um, not only is it you know, he admitting this, but he's, he's basically just throwing himself on the sword and saying, look, there's nothing I can do to to, to undo this. And mm. Except that I've, I've learned um, and didn't want to do it, but I, I did as I was told. Um, and I love that. Um, Darth and I had actually talked about that episode, and that was one of the ones I wanted and I, I wish you'd actually watched. Not necessarily for the episode itself, but for that last, you know, last like 10 minutes of the show is I think really, really kind of neat. Dave. Yeah, it was his contrition that uh, mm. that appeased them, wasn't it? They couldn't settle and go to their graves right. while there was this injustice, and they didn't necessarily want um, what they thought of was um, retribution. They just wanted that acknowledgement so that they they could then rest in peace. They they didn't want their lives back. So um, the very fact that he gave that very open admission and and showed contrition was all that they required of him, really. So, right. yes, and it, it, and it also shows that, um, you know, uh, Arthur's now finding his way without having to always assume that what his father said was, you know, it was good enough for my father, my father does this. He's having to find his own moral uh, centre, I suppose you would say, during the course of this series. Yeah. All right. Uh Episode 11 is The Hunter's Heart, which kind of just steps right into uh, the last two episodes as well. Uh, mm. Here we've got Morgana, she's got another ally, uh, and the, uh, uh, the, the warlord, warlord. Uh, Helios. Um, they come, with a, come up with a plan, which Guinevere actually stumbles across, um, because she has, been, of course, been cast out. But uh, uh, Helios' band uh, raid... Uh, the village where she's been hiding out, and uh, yeah, so she ends up stumbling plan. Um, and the sellout on this really is is Arthur's uh, possibly making a deal with another kingdom and marrying in order to seal the deal, and has a bit of a romance with uh, uh, Princess uh, Mithian, 
which it's all right. There's a lovely bit when, that... when they go hunting and and yeah, uh, yeah. Morgana uh, changes uh, Gwen into a, a deer. Um, and yeah, I, I don't know. There's something about just well, the well, way they set that up. It was good. It was really good because, of course, in one way it was stopping her warning people, but also it was the irony that it, it would be his uh, Arthur's hunting party right. that could end up slaying it. And uh, uh, I think it's um, Merlin that comes across the ring in the. They find the ring. Uh, is it uh, is it Arthur that finds the ring in no, no, the no, actual yeah, woods? It, yeah, it's Arthur finds the ring that because, uh, uh, Morgana puts the, the chain off of her neck. And lets it fall to the ground, and then changes into a deer, or at least gives her the appearance of a deer. Um, yeah. Yes, because and, when uh, uh, Merlin looks her in the eyes, he can see that it's Gwen, can't he? Doesn't he? Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's it, it, it's 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 just basically set pieces being put in place um, for the, the final two episodes. At this point, I think we can bring. Uh, Gareth back into the conversation. Did you see you said you saw the last two or you saw the last one? The last one story, but last two episodes. So I guess that'd be twelve and thirteen. Okay, cool. Indeed. Excellent. All right, uh, let me just read the plot descriptions. Uh Arthur and Merlin must run for their lives when Morgana, uh and and uh Helios's army attack Camelot. Uh, Morgana wants Merlin and Arthur found and killed in Blasel. And with Morgana's army headed straight for Merlin and Arthur, how can Merlin protect him? <laughs> I'm sorry. It's hilarious. It is. It, oh, this is one of those things where I love the interplay between the two of them, whether it's the, the chemistry between the two actors or just the way that it's written, I don't know. But I do love the way these two play together. Um, and... I mean, Colin Morgan. I mean, Merlin taking full advantage of the fact that he basically reduces Arthur to a blithering idiot who is totally reliant on on Merlin. Um, but Bradley James plays it well, I think. Um, sure, fine, I'll do whatever you say. Uh, I'll look I, after I, the gold. Yeah, I'll look after the gold. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, Basically, you know, the, the, the first ten minutes is is uh, the uh, the castle get formed, you know, uh, everybody out. Uh, in typical typical fashion of, of of most adventure and sci-fi shows, you know, you know the the base gets overrun by the bad guys, and at the end of the the, the following episode, the, the the good guys retake the castle, uh, or retake the space station or ship or you know. Um, but Agravan gets his comeuppance. Love it. Uh, a dragon just fries everybody. You can't beat that. Uh, um, and of course, Gwen comes back. Oh, and the sword yeah. in the stone. The sword in the stone. But we'll get to that at the very end because I think that's one of the talking points. But uh, Dave. Well, yeah, just prior to this, of course, there's been this running thing throughout the series of um, this um, Agravain, you know, uh, failing to uh, give uh, Morgana, you know, the the, the things she needs to, to breach uh, 
uh, Camelot because uh, you know it's a fairly impregnable thing. Shouldn't want to starve them out. And so there's there's been a few subplots going on where the the, um, the hidden uh, passages, uh, the what they call the siege passages, out of the castle. So uh, it, uh, one of the stories involved, the, you know, these secret plans and so on. And uh, th- that is the way that uh, these people have gained access to the castle. And as Ian quite rightly said, uh, uh, the, the 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 knights uh, gather around Arthur, and the main thing is to actually get Arthur out of the castle. And uh, the only way uh, that Merlin knows he'll do that is is to to make him into this uh, not not so much mindless, but uh, without Just will. Com- I think. Yeah, uh, will. Yeah, yeah, he takes away his will. He basically makes compliant. him completely. Yeah, com- yeah, makes him com- completely like. Yeah. Okay. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. What do we here? Oh, I, I saved you. Okay. <laughs> yeah, uh, and then they meet these people who, uh, turn, at first, we're not sure whether they're going to help them or not because they're basically smugglers. Um, and there's this uh, this chap and the, the this sort of girl warrior. Not too sure of the girl warrior's name at the moment, uh, but they're, they're, this warrior girl, um, you know, persuades her husband that you know that. Um, they should help them. It also means that um, Arthur gets to hear what ordinary people think, because they don't know he is, of course, uh, King Arthur. But the, he gets to hear what ordinary citizens think of them, and why should they almost help? And, and then there is a, a couple of th- times where Arthur actually ends up helping them, and um, they swear their allegiance to him and. Uh, it's a nice two-parter, and I'm glad actually, Ian, that they did do a two-parter on this. I think it required that. Um, right. There was great scenes. There was this sort of army, a little bit like, uh, you know, beginning of Gladiator, where they're in the forest with all the the fire and things being thrown about. As you say, uh, it's because the dragon comes back to even the odds out. Mm-hmm. In, in any other way, they wouldn't have succeeded. Um, and as you say, we we um, the um, Agravain gets his comeuppance. There's a there's a battle with Morgana as well, with, uh, with them throwing magic around. I think that might be in part one of the two-parter. Um, but all in all, it was a very satisfactory conclusion. Um, the um, well, we'll perhaps let Darth come in on that now and mention perhaps if he wants to uh, what he thought about the way that the the the, the sword and stone w- were. Because it was suddenly revealed as though uh, Merlin knew about where this stone was all the time. But it seemed to be news to us. Mm, i got to take on that, but Darth. See, that's interesting to me. I, I, you, oh, wow. You mean that wasn't at all built up in the series at no. all? It was just, no. here we are in the last episode. He just pulls it out of his ass. Wow. See, to me, that's, that's, basically, that's basically what Merlin did, which I think is an interesting way to do it. Rather than this actual legend actually having been, you know, in, in common folklore, Merlin pulls it out of his ass. He needs something to, to kind of really kind of give uh, Arthur Belief. the gumption Belief. to do this. And creates this thing and sticks it in the you know in the middle of you know well just down the road it just has to be just down the road, and 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 gives him this you know gift of this power that you know he's always had. 
I think it's quite a neat thing and, and, and speaks a lot about about Merlin. I, I, quite, I quite liked it because it would have been so easy to say, oh, yeah, yeah, I heard that legend, but nobody's ever been able to find it. And it just happened down the road. No, it just happened down the road because Merlin just thought it up. <laughs> yeah, there's no foreshadowing of it. No. That, that significantly changes my opinion of it because then that makes it to be a complete ripoff of the... Uh, um, the way that it's handled in Camelot, which oh. clearly precedes this, and, and I don't think there would be any way that the the makers of Merlin could say, "Oh, we didn't see Camelot." But right. That's that's crap. Um, it's it's done much better in Camelot, but it's still the notion of it being something that is created by Merlin as a PR event is is the unique spin that Camelot gives on the Sword in the Stone thing. And I thought that this was something that I had just missed because I hadn't seen the intervening episodes, but for it just to be, oh, here's this stone conveniently located next to all these people who were in your court, pull it out. Um, uh, oh, wow, that makes it worse. But anyway. Uh, and they um, all arrived at it as well. Uh, out of the forest, these people all all gathered at boom. the time. Well, so how they knew that... Well, because they, they were all gearing up to go read, you know, to go storm the castle. Have fun storming the castle. Um, yeah. And it happened to be but just down the street. I mean, it's, it's the assumption that Merlin did everything. Because, I mean, the, the conversation was that he was telling this legend to, of a king... Um, you know, one of his descendants, um, and right. the, it was the legend that he was aware of, of of this king. But he added the bit in about the sword and the stone. So that's the conclusion I came to was the the the, the sword and the stone bit was the complete fabrication on Merlin's part, and and you know, created. And of course, you know, Albion's in the damned stone. So yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, so, it certainly is a, is a reasonable conclusion to make, but uh, it's just one that I didn't make because I, I, I didn't understand that, that it had in no way been presaged by anything in the series to date. That right. is very odd. Um, hmm. I, I think I think what's... Uh, this whole episode, this whole story, um, th- there are a couple things that I can say for it that are good and you know one is I wasn't bored um, uh, quite unlike the first um, episode which is similar in a lot of ways I mean there's still there's a storming of the castle there's you know a, an, an attack basically on Camelot and you get a lot of fight scenes or whatever but for some reason in the first episode it just seemed really boring whereas this time around it did seem like there was a point and maybe that's because I quite like the bit in Henry V where, um, you know, Henry goes undercover uh, to talk amongst his men before the big battle. And really, that's what this whole narrative structure is. Is It's, you know, that act of Henry V where Henry is, is stealing his men to battle before they go. And in the intervening time, he's passing himself off as a, a, a commoner. And so, therefore, here's the truth about his rule. Um, maybe a little bit differently than Henry V, the things that he hears are not as flattering as what Henry would have heard. Um, but it's good because it, it you know, gives us some uh, dimension for Arthur. Uh, I, 
you kind of thought this would have come a little bit earlier, and I, and I kind of expected to hear about more learning lessons, life lessons, whatever that Arthur might have learned in the the episodes that preceded this. But the the notion that Arthur wasn't well regarded by everybody seems to be one that is coming a little bit late in the game. I would have honestly thought that he would have known that some people didn't like him and that he wouldn't have been so shocked by it as he is in this episode. But again, watching it in isolation, watching it as an example of the story of the sword and the stone, that's fine. Um, But, you know, as a part of a series that's supposed to be about the maturation of Arthur and, and Merlin, it does seem a little bit late in the game for him to just be discovering that you know, his dad was a jerk and therefore people don't necessarily like him. Um, but, you know, I guess that's a lesson that is better learned later than never. So it's it's good in a sense to have that there. I, I will agree with you that the interplay between Merlin and uh, Arthur is way better here than I remember it being. It's way more naturalistic. Um, well, I say naturalistic. I, I, I will say the script is kind of... Uh, what's the word? It, it, it's kind of fanciful when it suggests that Bradley, whatever his name, is getting fat and <laughs> therefore needs to have you know another notch put in his belt. I mean, it's a nice bit of dialogue, and it's logical, and it sort of works. But when you actually look at the actors playing it, it totally doesn't work at all. There's no way the guy is getting fat in any way compared to, you know, times previous with him. So it's whatever. That, that It's weird because it's a great line. It's a great little bit of play. Oh. They keep it up. They end it. You know, it's a gag that goes throughout both episodes and it fits in quite nicely at d- different times. So it's structurally, it's quite good. It's just realistic to the actor that is playing it. Um, the dragon, man. I swear to God, I've never understood the dragons in this show. Dragon comes and goes, knows whatever it needs to know, but not enough to help anybody, really. Uh, sometimes, you know, is he deliberately ignorant of things? Is he withholding things? It's just a sign. I've never understood the role of the dragon in this entire series, and worst of all, it's terrible CGI in the sense that the actual face is cartoonish. And I was dragged right out of this episode as soon as we got a full-on headshot of the dragon. And uh, it's just inexcusable. I mean, really, they can't possibly... It's technically good CGI. I mean, I I think the mill's doing it. I I could be wrong. Um, But, I mean, you know, it's technically good in the sense that the skeleton moves, the facial muscles move in the right way and all that stuff. But the actual face itself is, and the eyes, eyes are so Disney. Um, It just is so jarring with the rest of the, production values of the series because you know otherwise it's Merlin is now trying to be a little bit darker a little bit more um, adult and it's you know color grading and everything like that and then all of a sudden to have this dragon show up that looks like you know something out of Pete and the Dragon um, 
it just doesn't work, especially if that character is supposed to be significant, and that you know he must be because somehow there's. And again, you know more about this because of the episodes I haven't seen. But the, the whole story ends on a dragon flying away. And actually, that dragon at the very end, the baby dragon, way better in terms of its you know realism and whatever. Um, and, and just the coloring. The coloring is, is perfect for this series because it's white, gray, you know, it's sort of more washed out. But this, the, the one that John Hurt's playing, just horrible character. In animation and in terms of what is it supposed to be doing, I just don't get it. Well, well she thinks. Yeah, my, my my take on the whole dragon thing is, dragons like being a jerk. They know uh, everything, mm-hmm. but they're not going to tell you because it's more fun. It's like the doctor, you know. It's like, well, you know, I can tell you that, but. Well, a few thoughts on that. I mean, obviously, the, the, the main dragon was designed when it was still at standard definition, so maybe they, they've they only slightly tweaked it. But I, I agree with you about the, certainly like the, the mouth, it's almost like a, a giraffe's mouth and eyes uh, with the with the over yeah. movements of the lips. Yeah. Um, and obviously, the CGI for the, the other dragon was done at a high definition level. I think basically, though, the dragon is the sonic screwdriver of this show. Basically, they, they, they have it go away because every time you had an enemy, all you have to do is sever the dragon and toast them. So it's too easy a solution in many ways. And the other reason why I think the, the dragon talks in riddles, as it were, is because in the dragon's point of view, uh, things happen over millennium. You know, it's got a long life. So it's not a question of, you know, it says, you know, one day Arthur will be king. It doesn't mean, what do you mean in, you know, in 18 months? It might be 18 years as far as the dragon's concerned. That's still relatively, you know, any minute mm-hmm. now. Uh, and I think it just has, you know, the affairs of man and their day-to-day thing is no concern. Of course, they did. They have the pact when he uh, when he uh, he helped um, the dragon helped him at the beginning and he set the dragon free. It was only learning that his own father, Merlin, learned that his own father was um, a dragon talker, whatever the word was we used. Because um, the, uh, the the dragon didn't exactly tell him that Merlin had that power over him. He kept that quiet, and it was only later on that he found out he had that control over it. Uh, so I think it's um, it, I think the dragon's used sparingly for that reason. Maybe because John Hurt costs a lot as well, but I think that's the reason it's used sparingly. He's the uh, is the um, the sonic screwdriver of the series, or could be. Yeah. I guess, you know, I, I mean, I guess I would definitely call myself a casual viewer of Merlin at this point. And, you know, from that perspective of somebody dipping in and out of the series, the dragon just is, is mystifying. It's just, what the hell is this thing doing? And why does it look so goofy? Um, it, it's a real, I don't know. I mean, with the sonic screwdriver, you kind of get it. You know, I think if you just watch one episode of a modern series and you see the sonic screwdriver unlocking the door, you kind of get, okay, I sort of see what that thing is. Dragon, though, uh, it's 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 utterly mystifying. Um, uh, let me just give 
sorry, uh, some general information. I mean, uh, that uh, the episodes that you watched, as well as being directed by the same person, Alex Troughton, uh, there was also Julian Jones that, that did the first two episodes. And they seem to have done these in blocks because if you look at the uh, Wikipedia page uh, for Merlin Series 4, too many names here to read, but I mean, uh, basically the beginning and end were bookended by the same writer and director. I should also just say, Ian, that uh, the series started with uh, 6.4 million viewers. Uh, In the the middle was hovering around the 7 million mark and the, the final two episode uh, finisher had um, 8.39 million for 12 and 8.18 so the series was gaining viewers throughout mm-hmm. the course of its run which must be seen uh, somewhat of uh, verification or uh, well you know, it, 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 it did it did tend to duck it over there um like we went from the last you know the last five episodes we went 7.32 to 6.90 7.12 the only thing that i think brought it up at the end was for the same reason as darth watched these two episodes it's the, title. the sword and the stone yeah. um that's what that's basically what got bums on seats and understandably yeah. so it's the title it's like okay god if i've been if i'm a casual watcher of merlin this is the one I have to watch. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, it is good that they picked up viewers, yes. Um, but I think the main reason isn't necessarily because of any great uh, increase in quality or whatever. It's more the title. But the the lowest viewership is for the first episode. It never dropped below that first uh, 6.4 million. So it never right. dropped, never dipped. Right. There was variance, but it never dipped below that. I so, think, you know, the, the, it's interesting that you mentioned the, the whole um, ratings thing here because I'm, I mean, this is the first time that Merlin's been on at this time of year, right? Normally it's a, it immediately follows Doctor Who in the late summer, right? Yeah, the, uh, would you should, uh, should just say this, this series went from the 1st of October until the uh, uh, 24th of December, and I suppose being Christmas as well, that added to the numbers, but yes, I think they've, but, uh, they've, they've messed about with it a little bit in, when it's been airing. Well, I mean, it, it, still, it still follows Doctor Who, and that Doctor Who ended on the 1st of October of this year, you know, technically because of a split series. But I think that the reason that they may have done this was not just, you know, to put it on after Doctor Who, because they could have easily put it on between the two series of Doctor Who and kept it in the same time slot that it had been before, I think they may have been trying to, you know, float a balloon and see what does a show that's like Doctor Who do on Saturdays, you know, from October to January, because that's what we're going to do to Doctor Who next year. And we want to see what the effect is. And this might be, you know, a good signal that a show like Doctor Who could indeed pick up some viewers if it's shown at this time of year because those are better numbers than what Doctor Who got this year. I mean, I don't know about share numbers, but certainly in terms of raw um, ratings, and I, I assume at this point you're probably talking final ratings, aren't you? You're not talking overnight. Oh, no, no, absolutely um, final ratings, yeah. Well, uh, I mean, the first, yeah. series, the first series, the very first episode had uh, seven point one five million, but most of that series was around the six million mark Six and a half million. Series two did a, a, a little bit poor, actually, 
just to, yeah. just hovering around the six million. Series three uh, between six and a half and seven. Uh, and so this has been actually series four has probably had the the highest rating, and it's been the one series where it's been picking up viewers during the run, where the others have been sort of, um, as like Ian was saying, uh, up and up and down. I think I think it's interesting from, you know, because they're both BBC Wales shows. They're both, you know, essentially they're co-equal flagship BBC Wales shows, really. Um, and I think it, I think it's an interesting ratings pattern going into what Doctor Who will be like in 2012. But, um, yeah, I mean, 8 million, that's, I think that's better than just about, except for the Christmas special, I think that that's better than anything Doctor Who did this year. I think. That's pretty good. Right. Getting, you know, back to the substance of it. Sorry. Go ahead, Dave. I I think it did better than the, uh, that, uh, what I thought was an awful Robin Hood series. Can't remember what its exact title was. Was it in 2006? Oh. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I, th- I want to say that that got sort of five and a half million. Well, see, that had three series. Uh, the average for series one was uh, 6.19 million. Series two had an average of 5.83 million. Series three had an average of 4.2. Sorry, 4.02. Am I not... Mi- I think I really didn't watch Robin Hood to speak of, but I want to say there were, there were major cast changes between Series 2 and Series 3, weren't there? I think so. I mean, it was fundamentally... They were I think it was bailing out, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. But anyway, getting back to, um, you know, this this story. Um, like I said, I think that there were a lot of improvements uh, over what I had seen before. There were certainly in terms of the... Um, the acting, um, and you know, even though I've already mentioned I kind of didn't like the overuse of slow motion in the, the direction, and I do think it, it it felt more crisply edited than I can remember Merlin being in the past. Um, it did seem to have a nice narrative flow. Now, sometimes I think the editing was a little bit too close, and it may not be editing, it may be writing. You know, we were talking about how suddenly all these people come out of the woodwork to see the sword in the stone mm-hmm. moment. Um, and I think that that happens kind of a lot. There, there, are, there were points where I thought the narrative just didn't connect the dots. Um, and, and little stuff. I guess, but I don't know. It, it, it just seemed like the overtaking of the palace at the beginning sort of just happens. But of course, that could be because that's you know stuff that's been building in previous episodes to this. But it just it did just seem to okay. Now it's time to have a major set piece, so we're going to clear everybody out of the palace. Everybody's gone now, um, and. There were other little moments like that where, where you go from one scene to another and there's not necessarily the narrative glue there that you might be expecting out of things. Um, but obviously the, the central point of the entire episode that gives it its name is the, the sword and the stone moment. And I, I'm not sure how great that actually was. Um, I think, you know, if you like Ian and, you know, you read the scene as 
Merlin manipulating things. That's interesting because that's not something that you necessarily have seen before. Now, as I said, Camelot does that and does it better, way better. Um, but if you haven't seen Camelot, and a lot of people haven't, um, that's relatively interesting. But I, I tell you what I don't like about it. One is, and I guess we should just expect this from the name of the series being Merlin as opposed to being Merlin and Arthur. Um, it puts Merlin at a position of power relative to Arthur that I really don't like. I mean, one of the things that was great about Series 1, to me, was there were moments where Arthur genuinely got the better of Merlin, and Merlin was just flat-out wrong. And so the partnership seemed quite equal. This, though, what it says is... Um, Merlin arranged the whole thing and he magically allowed Arthur to pull the, the, the sword out of the stone. Mm-hmm. And I don't like that. I, I mean, I really think it should have been something that there's a failure in Merlin's magic and somehow Arthur does it anyway. You know, so that so that Arthur has some sort of genuine claim uh, in his own power uh, to take this thing out of the stone. But as it plays out, it's nothing to do with Arthur. It could be anybody in the world, and and that makes the line. What's the line that's said here? Something like, you know, you're not just like anybody else. You are King Arthur, the greatest king of these lands, or whatever. Right. Um, but in fact, he really is just anybody that. Arthur that Merlin has enabled to take the stone out of the take the sword out of the stone. Kingmaker, yeah. He's yeah, Merlin is the kingmaker. And and granted, you know, I keep comparing it to Camelot because I, I can't divorce the two in my mind. Um that is sort of what happens in, in Camelot too. But there are, the great thing about Camelot is that there are things that Arthur chooses to do um surrounding the event that give Arthur unique power that didn't come from Merlin. But this, it's all Merlin all the time, and I think that that's, that's not so great. And the, at the end of the day, what you, what you end up with is Merlin's power. I mean, uh, Arthur's full power in the whole thing is, I guess, that he chooses Guinevere. You know, and that, that's an exceptional thing to do, and it shows his, his touch with the common man and the whole thing. Um, but that's pretty weak, you know, compared to what you're expecting out of Arthur. Oh, great, he chooses a woman that slept around on him. But but in this one, uh, Merlin doesn't have a, his own agenda, other than the fact that he, you know, it's been foretold that Arthur will be a great king, and he's making sure, blindly in a way, that that comes true where I think in Camelot the 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 Merlin in that has a very sort of uh, ambiguous agenda doesn't he I mean you're not really sure whether he's a good guy when you're first watching uh, the first couple of episodes of that he he definitely is um, you know he's he's a puppet master in that one well that's that's right but and and I mean throughout you're not really sure if Merlin is a good guy Um, but but the interesting thing about the way that the Camelot deal plays out is, you know, there's this to and fro. Yes, Merlin is the kingmaker, but 
you know, the person who is being made king is not just going to do what Merlin says. You know, he's he does have ideas of his own, and it's definitely Merlin. It's definitely um, Arthur against Merlin in terms of you know how to set up the courts of law, for instance, so that it's going to be you know trial by jury, and Merlin doesn't like that. And so there you get a sense of well, that is actually great power. You are actually doing something of importance with laws in your kingdom that has nothing to do with Merlin. Um, mm. But this, I, I don't know. I mean, everything about this, the entire episode, um, the entire story, I should say, both episodes, Merlin is being manipulated, sorry, Arthur is being manipulated by Merlin. You know, first to get him out of the castle, then to, you know, join up with Tristan and Isolde, uh, then, you know, Merlin becomes the, his confidant and says, you know, don't worry about what Tristan and his older are saying. Other people believe that you're great. I'm going to make sure that you're great. Then he does make sure that he's great with magic. I, I, I mean, to me, it, it doesn't work on a lot of levels. It does work on one level, though, and that the level that it works on is um, the fact that this series has been predicated on the notion that magic is evil. That magic has nothing to do with the Cordopin Dragon and Camelot and all that. And so in a way, it is cool, sort of, uh, that, that Arthur becomes king through the explicit use of magic. Um, that's, that is, a, you know, a sort of irony if you take a, a series-long <laughs> view. But... Aside from that one thing, I, I think a lot of this just doesn't doesn't play particularly well for the Arthur character in in particular. Yeah, and I think it's 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 definitely aimed at a, a more adolescent audience. I think this one, but um, I don't know about you, Ian. I, I think uh, first of all, you guys, we've done extremely well. I think to uh, cover this topic with such a limited input. Um, we've still got lots of people listening, by the way. Uh, well, Cy Bob and, uh, uh, and Mike and uh, one or two of just Seventh Doctor had to drop off just there. But um, all in all, I don't think we want to repeat ourselves, Ian. So do you no. want to just give a, a little, unless, he, unless Darth wants to sum anything more up at the end, uh, I'm, I'm about done, I think, at my end. Certainly, give, I would say to people who missed it, uh, and if you could pick up the box set at a reasonable price, uh, then I think um, it, it's it's good watching. Is it something that's on Netflix? Is it? Did you say? Y yes, it is. I think the first three series are on are on Netflix now. Um, so yeah, definitely something you can catch up on there. I'm not sure about the Sci-Fi Channel whether they are still carrying it. It was, it was bouncing between Sci-Fi Channel and I think uh, ABC at one point. Um, showing it, so I'm not entirely sure of the U.S. plans to screen the next series. Uh, but I just want to—I mean, Nurse kind of said it eloquently before—that uh, this is a, a, a family entertainment, and it is. I mean, uh, my wife even kind of got into it, and she hasn't really watched too many before. So the ease of being able to kind of pick up on these characters and just go with it is—is is, is fun. Um, is it Camelot? No, but um, you know, its intention. As being family entertainment, the kids can watch, you know, uh, the scrawny kid uh, basically do magic and, and save the day, you know, 
just about in every episode, uh, you get to do see some some knights in shining armor, brandishing swords, some pretty girls, and uh, you know, there's even for for the old farts, there's guys. Isn't that right, Dave? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I like watching younger people like guys. <laughs> oh dear, uh, but yeah, um, I I I've enjoy, I enjoyed the series. I kind of. Uh, it was actually a week ago where I basically finished off the series because uh, I got a bit behind um, what with being in hospital and stuff. Oh. Uh, but got caught up on everything, which is why it's kind of fresh in my mind. Um, so yeah, it's, I, I, I'm, I'm glad it's still going because it's, like I said, it's good entertainment and uh, I love it. Yeah, and with your little recent uh, problem with your throat, I think tonight you better go and look under your bed and see if there's a little straw man there dripping oh, with I know. some gunge. <laughs> yeah, I know, jeez. I think I'm being cursed. <laughs> well, let me uh, just uh, say before Ian bids us farewell, uh, next week uh, we're doing uh, great stunts in TV and film, talking about uh, those great stunts. may not be just science fiction, maybe James Bond films or whatever, uh, and maybe even one or two famous stunt people uh, that we, we know about. So please join us for that. Um, I'm just going to mention something that's coming up. Uh, the week after, we've not got a topic sorted, but that will be sorted soon. But I just want to give people an early heads up for the 19th of February. Uh, that is when we're going to go slightly uh, off topic for us. Uh, the title is To Boldly Go in Science. And we're going to be talking, uh, not any general science, but basically about space exploration and astronomy, and uh, uh, what NASA's doing, and so on. And we will have our very own resident expert in the room joining us. And I'm going to let uh, Ian pronounce his surname. Oh, I can't remember that. I was drunk. <laughs> it's Perry. It's Perry. Perry uh, G. Yes, Perry G, who yeah. is not here anymore, and hopefully doesn't respect for this. But yeah, I, 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 my excuse is I was drunk when he told me. But I thought you'd written it down. I have written it down, but I can't see it. Uh, Pericles, isn't it? I don't know. I'm not going to hate because now I'm now I'm embarrassed. Uh, thanks, Dave. Yeah, you could have just said our very own Perry G and left it at that. <laughs> but no, no, you had to spoil it. <laughs> and Mike's been on audio, so he can't talk. He probably remembers. Don't you? It's not. Uh, it's, it's the uh, the pronunciation. That's the thing. I will. Uh, I will put it in text chat if I can find <laughs> it for you. Yeah, anyway, I think you want to say our uh, goodbyes, yes. as it were. Yes. Um, thank you for joining us. Uh, thank you for being uh, about Merlin, and uh, they are throwing in his comments here, there, and everywhere. Excuse the crying child in the background. Uh, Nothing to see here. Nothing to see here. Um, what was that oof for, Dave? <laughs> <laughs> all right. <laughs> enough Enough rambling on. It's time to get out of here. Uh, thank you all for joining us. Uh, thanks uh, to Darth for hanging out with us and uh, and for watching those last two episodes. Maybe you'll go back and watch another couple. Who knows? We'll see. Uh, but until then, it's goodbye from Mr. Dave AC. And it's goodbye from Ian, the Sixth Doctor. Goodbye, everybody.
Call recording has ended. Oh, I wish. Keep pressing the press this damn end button. I won't. <laughs> lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.